0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, May 16th. We begin with a look at the current situation in Ukraine, where the Russian invasion continues now into day 81. We speak with Marcus Kolga, founder of DisinfoWatch.org and a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. Marcus brings us the latest on the conflict and a breakdown of the requests of a handful of European nations who now want to join NATO.
1: Next, we examine the concept of guaranteed basic income. Could it be the key to eliminate poverty? And if so, what's stopping us from implementing it? We discuss with Zhang Zhao, associate professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of British Columbia.
0: It's a stampede tradition that's been on hold for the past two years because of the COVID-19 pandemic. We hear details on the return of the Roundup Music Festival taking place July 13th and featuring 90s
1: rock icons, The Offspring. And finally, it's another edition of Motivational Monday, our weekly segment aimed at helping you achieve your goals and live your best life. This week we speak with personal trainer, wellness influencer, and Canadian mental health advocate ambassador, Sonia Joss. Sonia brings us details of her recent TEDx talk titled, Where Do the Happy People Live?
0: Finland wants to join NATO and Russia says it will cut off supply of electricity to that country in response. To help break down the latest on the war in Ukraine, we're joined this morning by Marcus Kolga, founder of disinfowatch.org and a senior fellow at the McDonnell Laurier Institute. Good morning to you, Marcus. Thanks for being with us.
2: Good morning. Thanks for having me on.
0: Okay, let's uh, break down the latest. Uh, Finland definitely in and Sweden wanting to join NATO. Both of them obviously trying to get into NATO. Will it happen? We'll see. Turkey has some conditions that they want met ahead of that membership. What is the latest on all of this?
2: Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, Finland and and Sweden seem set to join NATO sometime within the next uh, few weeks, probably a few months. Um, Finland, of course, has spent the past 80 years, pretty much since the Second World War, bending over backwards, doing all it can not to provoke Russia, um, and has taken this position of neutrality. Uh, Sweden, as well, has uh, taken on a position of neutrality for the past 100 years or so. Um, Of course, during the Second World War, uh, they, they remained neutral in that conflict. So, um, you know, I think looking back three months ago before this invasion happened, you know, I, I don't think that any of us, no expert would have guessed that uh, by the summer, uh, Sweden and Finland would be uh, moving towards NATO membership. Um, and it's all really thanks to Vladimir Putin. Uh, Vladimir Putin, of course, uh, one of his primary missions uh, during the past 20 years has been to tear apart the uh, NATO alliance, to pull apart uh, the Western alliance, Western countries. Um, and in a, in a sh- few short weeks and months, um, Vladimir Putin has has managed to actually bring the West together to um, to create a stronger NATO. So, uh, you know, I, I think for for the Western world, things are looking positive today with with this uh, expansion enlargement of NATO to these other countries. Um, and if I were Vladimir Putin, I'd be very very concerned about uh, about uh, what's happening in the West and the prospect of his. Uh, his ultimate defeat in in Ukraine as well.
1: Marcus, can you give us some insight as to why it takes months for a country to become a NATO member? And uh, you know, speeding up this process, we're seeing it in in some fashion. But but why is the structure like this in the first place?
2: Well, look, it's a it's a political structure. So every country uh, has a right to um, chime in on this uh, on any sort of question of of adding new members to the alliance. Um, and if one single member uh, decides that it's not a good idea, and you mentioned Turkey earlier, um, this could cause problems. Turkey is 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 concerned because um, there are some members of a of a Kurdish political party that uh, that uh, Turkey has deemed to be a terrorist organization that have some sort of operations in Sweden. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think this is something that uh, will be will be able to overcome. But again, every country has a right to a veto over new members, and so. There has to be this discussion amongst all of them, ensure that there's consensus, and that'll take a little bit of time. You know, um, crossing the eyes and, and or dotting the eyes and crossing the T's rather, and uh, and so usually this accession process could take uh, you know years, as it did in the last round when the Baltic states were were added to the uh, to the alliance. But with with Finland, and Sweden, you know, Finland meets all of the requirements. Sweden meets meets most of them. So. The process really shouldn't take too long. It's likely that it'll take a few months, maybe even, you know, by the summer or the fall with Sweden and Finland, if they do formally request membership, that they could be accepted by that point.
0: Marcus, leads to a couple of questions. i um, curious as to, you know, what the response could even possibly be from Vladimir Putin. Talk about that in a sec. But, if you know, yeah. if they do shut off electricity, the Russians, to Finland, what does that look like? Does you, the rest of Europe kind of have to step in, or, or is that even possible?
2: Well, no, it's, 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 uh, it's really just hot air from Vladimir Putin, as he's been, uh, you know, uh, want to do for the for the past number of years. You know, there's always... You know, if, if somebody, um, you know, suggests uh, NATO expansion, whether it's in Finland or, or Sweden or, or anywhere else, you know, there's always some sort of a threat that that Vladimir Putin issues. Uh, with regards to Finland's electrical uh, needs, uh, sure, it, it buys some electricity from Russia, but uh, its grid is actually connected to Estonia's grid. And Estonia has its own uh, shale-burning uh, electrical plants and is completely independent from uh, from Russia when mm-hmm. it comes to electrical needs. That grid is connected to, to Finland, so all Finland really needs to do is just switch a, 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 turn off a switch to, to Russian power and, and get all of its power from Estonia. So it, it, there won't be any sort of interruptions in Finland.
1: Speaking with Marcus Kolga this morning, founder of disinfowatch.org and a senior fellow at the McDonald laurier Institute. Uh, you know, uh, Marcus, it's interesting. We focused a lot about how there's been some stumbles and bumbles from Russian troops the Russian invaders, but something we have not shown the spotlight on is uh, Ukraine and how they have managed to rally and, uh, you know, have this level of organization and coordination a few months in. Uh, what can you tell yeah. us about the behind-the-scenes with Ukraine and, and, the, and the fighters and the organization?
2: Well, look, I, you know, at the, you know, when we're sitting in January, February, where it looked like Russia was poised to, to invade somewhere, I think most Western governments and experts, uh, you know, publicly, uh, you know, thought that Russia would likely take uh, the capital, Kiev, in, in two to three days. Um, that's clearly not happened. As you, you mentioned in the intro, it's, we're at day 81 now. Um, Ukraine has been able to repel the Russian attack on Kiev. It has successfully defended Kiev. There are reports this morning that uh, Ukrainian troops in the north, uh, northeast of the country, near Kharkov, the second largest city in Ukraine, have pushed Russian forces back beyond the border. Uh, there are reports that uh, Ukrainian signs and Ukrainian on the border are, being rep- are replacing the, the ones that the Russian occupiers installed. And so it looks like Ukraine has successfully defended uh, that northeast country. Now, Donbass, which is in the far east of the country, is still under attack from Russian Russian forces. And uh, that's where the, the primary focus, Russia's primary focus will be and where the, the battle will be the toughest. Um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, the Ukrainians have come together thanks to its president. The, the president has galvanized his people. He is an incredible, exceptional communicator, sorry, um, and uh, and has managed to bring his people together. He's also managed to bring the Western world together in support for Ukraine. And so all these uh, lethal we- defensive weapons that we're seeing, they're really making a difference. So when you put together the high morale of the, the Ukrainian defenders and the Ukrainian people and these weapons, um, it's a recipe for success. And, uh, and that's exactly what they're doing. They're, they're able to repel this invasion and hopefully win this war eventually.
0: It's been inspirational to watch for sure. Thank you so much for uh, your take on this, Marcus. Appreciate your time this morning.
2: Anytime. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you, Marcus Kolga, founder of
1: disinfowatch.org and a senior fellow at the McDonnell Laurier Institute. Guaranteed basic income may be the solution to end poverty in Canada. So why isn't it happening? With Insight, we're joined by Zhang Zhao, Associate Professor, Canada Research Chair, Department of Psychology at the University of British Columbia. Good morning to you, Professor. Good morning. Well, we've been talking about guaranteed basic income for for quite some time now. So do we have any indication of how much support it has here in Canada?
3: Oh, a lot. Actually, most Canadians support a basic income program up to a thirty thousand um, dollars by most I mean sixty percent sixty percent of Canadians agree a program like this should exist in Canada, regardless of uh, employment outcomes.
0: Professor, what exactly would it look like and and how could it then help to end poverty?
3: Yeah, a basic income program looks like something um simple so that means all Canadian citizens and residents over the age of 17 could receive an unconditional guaranteed income um, with something along the basically yeah, that will put you above the poverty line. In other words, nobody in Canada should live in poverty. This is what the program will would, would achieve. But the, uh, the reason the program is not uh, implemented yet is because of uh, strong political resistance. Um, the The overwhelming argument against basic income is that it's you know, unfair, it's costly, it's complicated. Um, and what we're showing is it's not true.
1: Well, we, you're showing it's not true. I'm wondering if there are any examples, Professor, of countries that have used a guaranteed basic income to essentially put the brakes on poverty.
3: Oh, yes, absolutely. So Finland has piloted a basic income program um, that has shown a lot of success and positive results of the basic income program. Likewise, this is not a country, but Alaska actually has, has trialed basic income for decades now and has shown um, very positive results on a variety of outcomes on the citizens. On so um, we have evidence, and, and there are re, there, the regional pilots, such as the ones in Ontario. Uh, many years ago, Manitoba piloted by basic income called maincome Program. Um, so all of these trials have yielded positive results and, and no negative results as expected.
0: Let's talk about the dollars and cents of it, Professor. You know, I think that's probably the, the concern for those who do oppose it is is how much it would cost the country of Canada to mm-hmm. to offer up a guaranteed basic in, income. So w- you say that shouldn't be in effect, though?
3: Yeah, so basic income is not that expensive as, as past calculations have suggested. So one, the parliamentary budget office in Canada that said, you know, a big help program will cost um, the government $88 billion. So this is assuming giving every individual $17,000 every year. Now, this sounds like a lot of money, which is true, but it can, it does not have to increase the government deficit because this program can be offset by scaling back tax, tax credits um, that disproportionately benefit Canadians above a certain higher income bracket. So... There are things that the government can do to fund this program, but importantly, this program yields more benefits and returns that can that can actually be cost effective at the end.
1: Professor, we have a text here I'd like to read and get your response to this. Texter says, "Nobody works, everybody gets paid. Universal basic income isn't going to work in this uh, on this side of the world because we're expected to work for a living." What do you make of that?
3: That's a pervasive uh assumptions um people think that with basic income nobody's going to work now we have evidence to show that this is not true uh take alaska for instance they have basic income um for, for for a long time now employment so this is basically how many people work and what their wages are the labor market has actually not been impacted negatively by basic income this is from all the evidence we have so far so If you look at what happened to people who receive basic income in the world, uh, it's not the case that they they give up work and they work less. In fact, there's no change in employment. And if anything, some trials have shown positive increase. So basically people have have made more money from work as a result of basic income. So
0: I have to argue against that. That's not true. Um, That's not what we see from trials in the world. It's a fascinating discussion. It really can uh, get people talking for sure. So, thank you for bringing up the conversation. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. That is Zhang Zhao, who is an associate professor, Canada research chair, Department of Psychology at the Institute for Resources, Environment and Sustainability at the UBC.
1: What do you, I, I, I don't know. I, to me, it sounds like what that texter said to a certain extent, and maybe ignorance on my part. The professor said that's not the case. You want people to be able to sur- not just survive, but thrive. But some people, they can't even, you know, make the ends mm-hmm. with, their, with their jobs. And, yeah, that's where when I look at it is those people who are working for a living but cannot have enough traction due to their situation. Uh, just because somebody works 40, 50 hours a week doesn't mean those bills are being paid. So, you know, maybe, maybe you have a solution.
0: The Offspring, headliners at this year's Roundup Music Fest. Why are we talking about that? Because it is back and tickets are going fast. It is the 2022 Roundup Music Fest. It's been a a fixture in our community during Stampede for many years until the pandemic. But you can't keep a good concert down. And Roundup is back with an amazing lineup. And with all the details, we're joined this morning by founder and CEO of Press and Post, Sarah Geddes. Hi, Sarah. Hi, friends. How are you? Excellent. So great to talk to you again, to be able to talk about the Roundup Music Festival. You must be pumped, you and your team. So tell us all about it. How'd you get it back this year?
4: Yeah, well, it's been uh, the whole city, obviously, and country and world has just been impacted over the last couple of years. And I can't tell you how excited we are to bring live music back uh, to the, the Stampede festivities.
1: And, of course, you're coming back, Sarah. You've got to get that lineup together, and it's a stellar lineup, really something for everybody. Can you let us know who's on the bill?
4: Yeah, we've got Headliner with The Offspring and uh, featuring Young the Giant, the Strombellas, and Said the Whale. So there's a little bit of something for everyone, um, but what we're most excited about is just getting people back together and just having fun again.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think thats it's a great concert. It is a great time to get together. It's part of Stampede. It's a tradition. Maybe some people don't really understand what's going on in the background, too, that there's a, a huge charitable aspect to this.
4: Yeah, there is. And that's thats kind of been the unfortunate part of the pandemic. And um, what a lot of people don't see is, is the impact on charitable organizations. So uh, a good portion of our proceeds go... Um, towards the Calgary Military Family Resource Center, with um, which everything, with everything going on in the world right now, um, supporting our military families is obviously super important. And kind of the spotlight is on um, on what the military do for our country and for the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Doing great work in the city with that charity aspect, Sarah. But also, I think that uh, people who may not have been to the Roundup before. It, it it is totally a, an event. It's not just a concert. So if you can let people know, you know, this is a basically a whole day thing. You plan your day around it, don't you?
4: Yeah, it's it's a real staple in um, kind of anyone who's involved in corporate Calgary and and that side of the Stampede world. It really just brings people together and the corporate community comes together for a festival. I mean, there's there's no way to, unless you've been there, it's really difficult to describe, but it's not just a show up, listen kind of event. It's it's really a community gathering and it's a celebration of the best parts of Stampede, just and
0: bringing community together. So true. I know people are ready for it. Glad it's yeah. back. Roundupmusicfest.com. People can get tickets through the website, right? They can indeed. I would suggest Moving quick. Tickets are moving (laughs) super quick. We always sell out, so um, definitely move fast. (laughs) Glad it's back. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time, Sarah. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you there. Absolutely, for sure. Thanks so much for joining us. Sarah Geddes, founder and CEO of Press & Post. And again, it's roundupmusicfest.com. This is Motivational Monday, a chance to get you motivated today and beyond. It also happens to be Mental Health Awareness Month, a topic that is definitely front of mind. And joining us today is personal trainer, mindset and wellness influencer and Canadian Mental Health Association Ambassador, Sonia Jass. Good morning, Sonia. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Hey, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, and your amazing TEDx talk. Where do the happy people live?
5: oh my goodness yes oh it feels like that was ages ago how time is flying um you know it's been an interesting evolution to sort of um uh, get to this place you know i i used to be your classic burnt out girl working in the corporate world just sort of doing the race doing the chase assuming that you know getting those ticky marks was going to lead to happiness and um i got to a bit of an inflection point when i was about 25 saying you know, this can't be all there is. This can't be sort of the journey that I'm meant to be on. And I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew that I was looking to find sort of that balance, that healthier state of mind, that inner outer alignment. And so to make a very long story short, sort of went on that inner journey to, you know, make peace with my body and to just sort of redefine my evaluation criteria in life. And about a decade later, here we are post-Ted Talk, you know, really trying to, I think, open people's eyes to the vortex that we're living in, particularly when it comes to social media.
1: I want to ask you, Sonia, because within your Ted Talk, one of the lines was, who would I be if no one was watching? That, That seemed to really connect with people. Why do you think that is?
5: You know, I think it's just, so difficult for us in this day and age to forget that we we know in our gut who we are and, and what we want and, and what our authenticity feels like, and, and it's so hard for us to stay connected to that feeling. You know, we're so busy um, trying to satisfy other people's expectations and the requirements and the demands, whether they're overt or covert, you know, we're so busy trying to fit in And to get somewhere. And I think that idea that, you know, if no one was watching and you were by yourself for more than an hour, you know, for more than a day, if you could tune out all that noise and there was no pressure, who would you be? I think that question, you know, when it hits me, even now, like I just got chills for a second. It's like, even now I'm like, oh, my God, yes, I am getting caught up again. It's like that that getting caught up feeling it's so natural, it's so instinctive in this world that we're living in that I think it's just this idea of being able to just tune back in for a moment, gives people that feeling that they really are being pulled away from who they really are. And it's, it's it's a question that I think is so simple. And yet, even for me, even though I've asked myself this on a daily basis, day after day, year after year, it's like it's so potent. I don't I don't know if it resonates with both of you.
0: truly does, because it is, it is the time we live in, isn't it? So, you know, kind of on that note then, I mean, you talk about a truth that you learned, that social media makes us feel not quite good enough. Do you think that's part of society's overall mental health issues today, that we live so deeply in social media, that we don't even realize that that's kind of what's happening to us?
5: A hundred percent. You know, I think right now, it's like people, it's like we're using screens, 11 hours of the day. I think we are we are absolutely consumed at this point in time in this other world that we're living in. And, you know, the first time I took a social media detox, I did it because I was really finding myself um, experiencing a lot of inner turmoil. You know, there was like a, a lot of pull to be able to create and perform and perfect. And I just, I was really feeling overwhelmed by it. And so I, I put my phone away for a few days and it felt, this was going to sound so silly, it felt so scary and so risky to do that. Like I was going to lose my following overnight. And when I did, I had this super simple aha moment. You know, I was at uh, this this water park with my daughter and my husband at the time, and I didn't know where my phone was. And in in that moment, I was like, wow, my, my life is actually in this moment actually don't know what's happening online. The world could be ending online. There could be rumors online. I could have lost my entire following online. But the only thing that's real is what's happening right here in this moment while my daughter is splashing. And it was like such a strange connect for me. Like, isn't that what it's always been? Isn't life always whatever is happening right now? But it isn't, right, because we've created this alternate reality where there's pressure and there's pull and there's uh, just this whole uh, society that we're living in that it isn't actually parallel to what's going on in front of our faces in real life. And so, yes, do I think we're, we're so caught up in that? I think we are to the point that we forget what's right in front of us. And I think for me, taking that break felt so empowering and so good that I did it again. And I did it again to the point that now I am able to stay present in my real life and use social media as a tool, but it's not the life that I'm living in anymore, which feels so liberating.
1: Again, from your TEDx talk, there's a lot of takeaways of uh, your TEDx talk called Who Would I Be If No One Was Watching? Oh no, that was the, the line, Who Would I Be If No One Was Watching? <laughs> Where do the happy people live? Use yes. a term. It's called unlayering. Can you explain uh, what the definition of unlayering means to you?
5: Absolutely. I mean, to me, I think as a South Asian girl growing up in Canada, very strict parents, uh, very heavy evaluation criteria imposed upon me in terms of what success looks like, beauty looks like, uh, you know, expectations around who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to act. You know, I think we adopt those expectations so early on so many of us and even if it's not from your parents from society I think it's like from those earliest days those layers just get built upon you know it's like those images we see in society the girls on the covers of the magazines we're just being bombarded with images and messages from media and I think it's like each of those things we don't realize it but they're creating these layers this, this barrier I think these layers to the barrier that end up preventing us from being able to get deeper within who we really are. And for me, it's like, you know, when they say, and then you're finally going to figure out who you are. For me, the journey has really been about sort of like peeling those layers, and really uncovering those messages and dissecting all of those things that I've been holding onto all my life that aren't my own to get to the core of who i have always been. You know, it feels less like i'm 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 finding myself for the first time as somebody new and more like i'm shedding all of that stuff that i've been carrying all my life that wasn't mine to get to the seed of who i really am and i think to me that's where the unlayering feels really true. It's like to be able to push away all of that garbage that has, you know, been adopted as your own to reconnect with the core of who you are. It's like such a painful journey, not going to lie, almost nothing fun about it, Mm -hmm. but tremendously rewarding because that's where you find that authenticity and that alignment. And when you can find the alignment, it's like things start to
0: get just a little bit less noisy. And that's really, really powerful. Great reminders. Uh, Live in the here and now for sure. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Sonia Joss, personal trainer, mindset and wellness influencer and Canadian Mental Health Association ambassador.
1: Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast.
0: Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play or wherever you find your
1: podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.